Man, that is good news. We've heard and sung together good news much already this morning, and there's more good news to come as we open up the Word of God. And uh, we've been, uh, a number of you I know are, are visiting because you're here to witness testimonies and baptisms of those that you love and care for. And I'm glad that we're all gathered together um, on this morning. We as a church have been walking through the Gospel of John. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 20. We just are almost done with the book. And so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open up to John chapter 20, where we'll be looking today before we hear those testimonies and witness those baptisms. You know, here's the reality. Seasons come and go and come again. It seems certainly this week that summer's definitely done, right? It seems like fall almost got skipped a little bit. Uh, But the hope that we have is that this has happened before, right? That we have summer and fall happens, which I think is the best season, and then winter comes. But we we have hope that the stuff is going to turn green again. The leaves that are falling, uh, there's going to be new ones growing in their place, and summer's going to come again. Surely we didn't experience, it doesn't seem, the last summer of our lives. Seasons come and go and come again. The Minnesota Twins, I'm a fan of the Minnesota Twins, and their season has come and gone again, which happens all the time. Uh, and they lost this week their 14th, 15th, and 16th consecutive uh, postseason appearances, uh, which is what they do. But every year, I get excited when opening day comes again. There's going to be another season, and maybe next time, right? And so seasons come and go and come again. Soon it's cold and flu season, and maybe some of you have already gotten a cold. But when we get a cold, we usually assume that we're not going to have a stuffy nose forever. There will come a day again when we will be able to breathe through our nose. And so we know that seasons come and go and come again. But then there are things that seem so final. And death is one of those things. As we've gone through John's Gospel over the last weeks, we've seen Jesus betrayed, accused, arrested, questioned, denied, mocked, beaten. We've seen him crucified, nailed to a cross. We've seen him die. We've seen his body be buried in a tomb. And there's something that seems really final about that, especially for those closest to Jesus. The disciples who had given up everything to follow him, the family members, all of the people that had put their hope in him, he was the Messiah, he was the Savior, he was the one who had come to set them free, but now his body's laying in a grave, and death seems final to them. Breathing has stopped, blood has poured out, his body is buried, they wonder, has evil won? Is there an answer for death? Is there an answer for sin. And we might wonder those same things. Is this is this it? Is there any hope for sinners? Will evil win in the end? Is there life after death? Or does death have the final word? How do we know that our sin can be paid for in full? How do we know that we can be in a right relationship with God? How do we know that we will live even after we die? And all of our hope comes from what we looked at last week and from what we're looking at this week and what will be pictured in the baptisms that happen here in a bit. And look this morning at John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. I invite you to stand, if you're able, as we read God's Word together today. 
Let's pray first and then we'll read. Father, I thank you that you have spoken, that, that, uh, that what we read now we can trust to be true because you're the one who has spoken it and you have all authority and nothing you say is ever not true. And so, God, I thank you that John has given us, you have spoken through your Holy Spirit, through John, to give us an eyewitness account of what took place uh, the third day after Jesus had been nailed to the cross, after his body was taken down, his dead, lifeless body put in a tomb, that we can hear of the good news that we read now today. We're thankful for that, and I pray that as we hear it, we would believe the good news And believe it in such a way that we recognize that believing this news, identifying with Jesus through faith, is what gives us, as we sang earlier, a foretaste of our deliverance. How unwavering our hope, because Christ in power has been resurrected, we know that we who are in Him will also be resurrected when He comes. God, give us that kind of resurrection hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 20 beginning in verse 1, says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. You can be seated. As we wrestle with the things that I mentioned right before reading Scripture, here's the reality. The reality is that most people that we live around assume that they're acceptable to God and that when they die, they will be in a better place. This is what most people around us assume. For many, that's just wishful thinking. That kind of hope 
needs to be grounded in reality. And the reality that we just read about is the reality in which that hope can be grounded. Here's the reality. For those of us who trust in Jesus, there is a sure hope based on something that really happened on a Friday and a Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago, and our response, which is repentance and faith, which took place much more recently. Our hope that when we die, we will still live is based on that, on what it was that happened on that Sunday. You notice that John was quick to point out, and all four of the gospel writers point out it was the first day of the week. That's why as Christians, we gather not on the Jewish Sabbath Saturday, but we gather on Sunday. This day was so significant, it changed everything, that this is the day that we get together for 2,000 some years now to worship Jesus, the risen Savior. We get together to do this because this is our hope. Our hope for life after death is grounded in the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And we are united with Him in His death and resurrection by faith. We're made right with God by faith. And so, we have this great privilege today of looking at an eyewitness account of this event. There's a lot of details that we could go over that because I want to leave time for testimonies and baptisms, we're not going to go over. But I want to make sure we notice a few things so that we can recognize why we put so much hope in Jesus and in his resurrection. John's eyewitness account begins with what would have been a surprising eyewitness to be the first one. It's a woman with a history, a woman named Mary Magdalene. She had a history of what life looked like before Jesus, and when she met Jesus, that changed everything for her. And so we're not surprised to see her showing up. Jesus had died on Friday. His body was in the tomb, but it's like, it's like she doesn't know where to turn. Have you been there before? The death of someone you love, and you're just not sure what to do. And so it's Sunday morning, it's early, it's even still dark, and Mary finds her way to the tomb. I don't know certainly what she expected to find. There would have been it looking just like it had when she left. But it's the first day of the week. She comes to the tomb early while it's still dark. But here's what she sees. I want us to note what she sees. We're going to see over and over again in this passage, John telling us what people saw. That's important. Here's what Mary Magdalene saw. Mary Magdalene saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. A stone had been rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus' body was laid. Now that stone is rolled away. She sees this And so what does she do? Her reaction is she runs to go tell Peter and this other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's usually, uh, as we've noticed before, that's how John seems to be referring to himself. So Peter and John are the ones that are going to hear this news from Mary Magdalene who has seen this thing. And her reaction is to run and tell them. But her theory is seeing this stone rolled away, somebody must have taken his body. We're going to hear her repeat that a couple more times. This is is her theory at this point. She hasn't yet understood that Jesus has risen from the dead. So she's thinking somebody just came and moved his body. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, she says, and we don't know where they have laid him. So this elicits a response from Peter and John. Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Now, verse 4 
says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I, I can't help but laugh as I read that. This is John writing this. This is John writing about himself. This is an eyewitness account. A couple people over, over history have tried to kind of find some theological significance in John arriving first. It doesn't seem that there is any. It's, John's just like, uh, this is how it happened. This is how he remembers it. We took off running. We started at the same time, and I won. <laughs> uh, John, maybe John's just competitive. Uh, not, I won't name names, but not unlike some of the people being baptized here today, right? Just a bit competitive. Like, and so he's like, both of us took off running, and I got there first. Just saying, you know. Uh, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Which, by the way, I don't think it's insignificant. He's sharing that. And as he shares that, it's just a, this is an eyewitness account. He's just telling it like it is. Is this going to have a lot to do with defending the, the resurrection in the future? Do we enter this into a lot of apologetics? No, we don't. He's just telling us this is what happened. Why does he tell us that? Because he was there. And when you tell a story, don't you sometimes share details that, that maybe if your spouse is next to you, they're sharing it, that same thing. They're like, why are you sharing that detail? Right? But for some reason, the Holy Spirit, inspiring John to write every one of these words, uh, allows him to, to, to write these very words that he outran Peter, gets to the tomb first. He's going to bring it up again, by the way. And then here's what happens. John uh, doesn't go in. He stoops to look in. And again, here's that important he saw. What did John see? John sees linen cloths lying there. When somebody was buried, they would wrap their body in linen cloths and spices. Jesus' linen cloths are lying there. Remember earlier in the Gospel of John, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, when he came out of the tomb, he was still wearing them. And somebody had the stinky job of unwrapping all of that. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he left the linen cloths lying there in the tomb. And so when John stoops to look in, this is what he sees. Linen cloths lying there, but it says he did not go in. Then Simon Peter comes, following him, and went into the tomb. What does Peter see? Peter sees the linen cloths lying there, but because Peter's gone all the way in, he sees a little bit more. He also sees a face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Interesting. This is what John sees. This is what Peter sees. Then the other disciple, (laughs) here he goes again, who had reached the tomb first, that guy, you know, uh, also went in, and he saw, but listen to what it adds this time. He saw and believed. We've been told that Mary Magdalene saw something. We've been told that Peter saw something. But John, this other disciple, saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So John's reaction is a bit different than Mary Magdalene and Peter's. He sees, he sees the same thing that they saw, but he also believes. It's, we started this series in January of 2018, so it's been a while since we've been in chapter 2. But hopefully you've been reading Scripture on your own as well. And if you have, you might remember John chapter 2. You can flip back there if you have your Bible with you. John chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Here's what you would read there. It says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews then says, said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But John writes this, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So that's what's happening here. John wrote about it back in chapter 2, that when Jesus had risen from the dead, they remember that Scripture had pointed ahead to the risen Savior and that Jesus himself had said, you tear down this temple, meaning his body, and I'm going to raise it up again in three days. All of a sudden now, John, having remembered these things and seeing what he's seeing in the empty tomb, he believes an application here for us before we move on and it's a simple question it is written christ is risen do you believe that we don't have the opportunity like john and peter had to literally run to the tomb hours after jesus had been raised from the dead but we do have this great opportunity to have eyewitness accounts written for us in the word and we believe every word of the word of god and the word of god tells us that jesus is risen And so the question for application for us is very simple. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ really died on the cross in our place for our sins? And do you believe that his body was really buried? And do you believe that he was really raised from the dead? If you do, you are then united with him by faith you trust in jesus he is lord he is savior you submit yourself to him and when you trust in him you are then united to him by faith a bit more on that later but paul wrote this these uh, are very similar to the questions that i'm going to ask the four people as they get baptized they're going to be one at a time in the water and when they're in the water i will ask them The question, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried just like Scripture says, and that on the third day he rose again just like Scripture says? I ask them that because Paul said this is what's of first importance. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. It's this. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so you can choose, this is the reality that is set forth, you can choose whether or not you believe that to be true. If you don't believe that, here's the reality. The reality is that you came into the world a slave to sin, and if you do not believe, if you do not trust that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was dying for your sins and that he really rose from the dead, then you are still a slave to sin. You might feel free, but you're not. And when you stand before God, you will be found guilty and you are headed to eternal punishment. That's the reality. We like to say what Scripture says and not say what people like to hear. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you the truth because here's the good news. The good news is that for those of us who believe this, who believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, just like Scripture says. Those of us who trust in him, here's the reality for us. We live this life with a sure hope. 
a sure hope for this life and for the life to come. That we have been justified, declared righteous before God. Not because we got it all together on our own, but because Jesus Christ was perfectly righteous. And when we put our faith in Him, we're united with Him. And we are seen as righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is good news. And I thought somebody would say amen. Okay, all right, good. Let's continue and look at verses 11 to 18. We're going to come back to Mary Magdalene. Here's what Mary saw, and here's what Mary heard. Mary had been the first one to the tomb. She ran to tell Peter and John, and now she has returned. And here's what we read. But Mary stands weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she sees something. Again, I want you to note what it is that they're seeing. Uh, we could go into a lot of detail on this, but I want to just quick point out, Mary sees two things. It says Mary saw two angels. And then it also says in verse 14, I think it is, that Mary saw Jesus. You see that there? Verse 12, she saw two angels. Verse 14, she sees Jesus. Both of them ask the question, woman, why are you weeping? And Jesus adds another question, whom are you seeking? At this point, Mary still doesn't recognize that the one speaking to her is Jesus. Remember, her theory is that somebody had taken Jesus' body and moved it somewhere else. She's not expecting Jesus to speak to her. You would expect in a garden, a gardener to maybe be there early in the morning. They would have just taken the Sabbath day off. The, the Jewish Sabbath day, and so it's Sunday. So they were coming to do their work in the garden is what she's probably assuming. She's distraught at what has just happened, and so she's not seeing totally clearly. Jesus' resurrected body might look different also than the body that he had earlier, but when does she finally recognize that what she's seeing is Jesus? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, he, he had said her voice before. This, the one who spoke everything into existence, this the King of kings and Lord of lords had said to her personally before Mary. And so when he says her name again, she hears it. She knows he's talking to her now. Rabbani, she says, which in Aramaic means teacher. I assume she just wanted to cling on, which is why Jesus says to her, listen, this is not the end. There's more yet to come. There has been Jesus' perfect life. There has been Jesus' death. There has been Jesus' resurrection. Next will come Jesus' ascension. There's work yet to be done. And so he says, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. But listen to what Jesus tells her. Here's the message he says to pass on. Go to my brothers. Don't you love how Jesus is talking about these disciples, many of whom many of whom seem to have deserted him in the last hours? Peter, who has denied him over and over again three times, Peter denied him. How does Jesus talk about these men? My brothers, go to my brothers. And then, and then, he, says, then he says, and tell them this, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Most of the time in the Gospel of John, when Jesus has been talking about the Father, he's referred to him as my Father, right? But now, after his death and resurrection, he's saying the message for the disciples is this. Go and tell them about my Father. I'm going to my Father and your Father. My Father 
and your Father. You are so now united with me, you who trust in me. You are now so united with me that the one I call my Father, the one I've called my Father from all of eternity, you now also can call him your Father. Oh, this is good news. Jesus has opened up a way for us to have a right relationship with God the Father, the one and only Holy God. We can now be in his presence because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and through being united to him in faith. And so Mary has the great privilege of sharing this message. And she begins by telling these disciples, I have seen the Lord. Mary's life has been personally transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now she has the privilege of proclaiming this good news. And so, that brings us to some application for us to close things. Two points. One is this. The first one is we get to say this through testimony. So we're going to get to hear here in just a little bit. Then in Romans chapter 10, It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, that means made right with God, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so what we're going to hear here in a moment is four different people, all with different stories, but all of them having this in common. The reason they have hope for this life and for the next is because they believe that Jesus is Lord. And they believe that God has raised him from the dead. And their only hope for new life is because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And Jesus has died for their sins. And they're going to come and share that with us. So we're going to hear it through their testimony. And then we're going to see a picture of it through baptism. Baptism is... People who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, publicly identifying with Him. Basically saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm identifying with Him. This is what we're saying when we're being baptized. Baptism, it's often said, is a visible expression of, of an invisible reality. You can't can't see a a heart made new, a life turned around by Jesus. You can't see what happens inside. But baptism is a picture of what's happened internally. And what's happened internally, for everybody who repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus, what's happened internally is they have been born again to faith in Jesus. Their old sinful self, their sins crucified to the cross with Christ, Their old self put to death, buried with him, and baptism pictures that, and then raised to a new life. Just like Jesus was raised to new life, we too are then raised to new life in him. And so Romans chapter 6, that's what we read as a call to worship this morning. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. When we put our faith in Christ, we, by God's grace, are united to Christ by faith 
in such a way that we are, our, our old self is put to death, our sins are, are, are taken away in, in full. We are washed totally clean, which is why we immerse the entire body in water to symbolize we're washed entirely clean by the precious blood of Jesus, and we are raised to live a new life that we never could have lived had Jesus not been resurrected from the dead and caused us to be born again through faith in him. And so, this is what we get to see. Just a quick note uh, for those of you who maybe are wondering, you know, different churches do baptism in different ways. Here's what we as a church believe about uh, baptism in the evangelical free church. We believe that baptism does not save people. So, so the people that are being baptized today have already been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. They're not doing this in order that they might be saved. They're doing this because they have been saved. We believe we're saved by justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And later in that same article of our statement of faith, we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper being the two ordinances that God gave us in order that we might visibly and tangibly, that's in a way that we can see and touch, be reminded of the gospel. And we've already talked about the ways in which this does that. And so, what we get to do now is listen to the testimonies of those who, like Mary Magdalene, whose life had been personally transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we get to hear from four people whose lives have been personally transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to pray first, and then we're going to invite uh, actually the four of you who are going to do that. You can come up to these reserve spots up here for you, um, and then uh, Elise will be the first one to share. Let's pray. Father, so, so thankful for what Christ has done, that we who are slaves to sin and could spend the rest of our lives spinning our wheels trying to get out of it and trying to be better, that we can bring all of our sin before you, trusting that Christ paid the price in full on the cross. God, I thank you for many of us who also have had lives personally transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we pray also for those who are here this morning for whom that is not yet the case. And and maybe hearing the good news from what I shared from your word or from what they're going to hear from one of these four, that you would cause them to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, to put their faith in him and be united with him, to repent of sins and to trust in him, to ask somebody else who they know to be a Christian, ask somebody, what does it look like to put my faith in Jesus? I want to identify with him. And I thank you for these four, these four who you have saved and who now have been given the courage, really, by your Holy Spirit, who empowers them to come and stand before a whole lot of people to share the good news of what you have done in their lives. So I pray that we would clearly hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see how it's impacted four lives. In Jesus' name, amen.